HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Shaxbury Cider. This is Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for 10 years. After all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of beer, food, cider, and more. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love from my show by selecting Beer Sessions in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, today is June 4th, 2019, and we're getting ready for summer. Um, our show is pretty interesting. About a year ago, um, there was talk about would legalization of marijuana impact alcohol sales? And I thought about it and I asked a couple craft beer pioneers about it, but nobody really wanted to comment on it. And then recently this winter, um, I got steered more towards the, the growing of marijuana. Uh, I read a story about Colorado, how the hops industry has, hasn't really taken off compared to what it was expected. And um, it made me think about, you know, what could the impacts of legalizing marijuana be on, on growing uh, conditions in farmers? So um, our friends uh, Dieter and uh, Laura from Indian Ladder Farms are here. You guys introduced themselves. Hello, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what's going on in New York State. But you guys told me something new, <laughs> which is what this whole show is about, that it wasn't really about hops versus marijuana, which was my kind of premise, but that actually you guys are growing hemp, and we're going to talk about growing hemp. And also in the room, we've got a, a very experienced uh, liquor license lawyer. So, Max, introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Jimmy. Max Bookman. I'm an attorney, uh, Pizetsky and Bookman, and our firm focuses entirely on alcohol regulation. And uh, I think a little later in the show we'll get into it. Um, 
we became interested in the latest moves that New York State is making around uh, potentially legalizing adult use marijuana when we saw that um, they're modeling their legislation on uh, the alcohol regulatory structure. And so in this room, we've kind of got, you know, between between Dieter and Laura on the on the farm, New York State farm brewery and farm cidery side and uh, Max and, and his firm on just kind of reforming craft beer reg- legislation in New York. We kind of got some of the, the top people in the state who can talk about, you know, what alcohol regulation is and, and the evolution of craft beer in this state. So now we're going to kind of throw you in, in the ring with this new, this whole new marijuana thing. So Laura and, and Dieter, when I talked about with growing, you know, marijuana impact growing hops, you guys right away told me about something else, hemp. Yeah, so hemp was legalized, you know, last year, um, and uh, uh, in the uh, you know U.S. Farm Bill, and uh, so it goes sort of state by state as how it's regulated because they haven't really worked out the uh, full details on on the law. So we got a uh, research permit to do it, and, and our our initial interest in in hemp was um, in that it's very closely. You know, it's of the same family of, of hops, and we grow two and a half acres of hops. And so we were interested in the possibility of uh, genetics and uh, flavor profiles that we might be able to um, extract from the hemp to use in some of our farm brewery beer. Laura? <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that did happen. Thanks for having my back. <laughs> um, well, we, we were sort of in the one of the earlier waves of growing hemp in New York State, um, getting in on the second year of growing in association with a research associ- institution, which was Morrisville State College. So we planted uh, six and a half acres of hemp last year, and uh, we're trying to grow for seed and fiber. And well, there was a lot of reasons, a lot of things happened last year with all kinds of crops, mostly because of the prolonged period of rain during the harvest season but we ran into some problems with that. Um, then New York State, well, then hemp became legal through the Farm Bill, a 2014 Farm Bill, and New so York State fed, also... federal Farm Bill. The federal Farm Bill. And then New York State also made it um, possible to get a permit to grow hemp for CBD, which hadn't been available the year before. So now we have a permit to grow for CBD as well as for seed and fiber. Um, we're scaling back, we're planting uh, about two acres this year, now that we've learned some of the management issues. The thing that is interesting for us is that hemp and hops are both members of the cannabase family. There's only three members of that family of plants, the third being the hackberry tree, which is weird. But <laughs> hemp and hop have a lot in common, like we were talking about before, in that they have trichomes, they both secrete resins, they have a lot of flavor and aroma profiles, they have a lot of essential oils. The main difference being that hops don't have cannabinoids, uh, which have a lot of various properties that interact with the human biology, um, no, most notably right now THC and CBD. So hops do not have those. Uh, but there are a lot of similarities in the way they produce flavor and oil and aroma. You know, a backstory on, on kind of New York State farms. Um, you guys were family farm for a long time, four or five generations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of changes What from... State went from a lot of dairy. You guys got into apples, um, but the craft beer revolution in New York, a lot of it was targeted towards helping farms. That's right, um, and we'd like to see the cannabis industry go the same way. But right now, it's looking like it's pro- you know farmers are going to be left behind. As a matter of fact, we were just at a conference about 
hemp growing um, in Albany yesterday. And uh, because of the, the stakes or financial stakes are much higher with cannabis crops, obviously. And so a lot of big investors are moving in and uh, taking up the space. And um, we think that a lot of them are using hemp as a means of uh, getting their foot in the door and getting on the ground, growing hemp for CBD extraction. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to keep up with it just out of curiosity and to stay in the game. And because hemp is so closely related to hops, we think that there's a lot of the research that's been done on hops might pertain to growing hemp as well, which is something a lot of people aren't talking about. Yeah, we're looking for a lot of the... Uh um, the possibility of using some of the flavor profiles from hemp, you know, some of the, the you know, non-psychoactive um, uh, parts of, of hemp, um, you know, a lot of the geraniol and, and a lot of the other, you know, uh, uh, lineal and like that do exist in hemp. And because it's a, you know, an annual, we can grow, you know, some in the greenhouse and we can grow some out in the field, whereas hops, we have one shot a year at it. You know, because it is a perennial, it grows 18 feet high. But all that said, that one of the reasons we wanted to get in early on growing this crop is because it, it's yet another crop that hasn't been grown in New York State for over 100 years. Um, so there might be a learning curve. Yeah. And then just jumping over to Max. So generally, what's going on with, with legalization of marijuana in, in New York State? Well, it's a subject that was really not on our radar Um for quite some time. I mean, so stepping back a little bit, you know, New York has historically been really behind the curve when it comes to marijuana, um, you know, beginning with uh, medical marijuana. New York was very late to the game uh, with a medical marijuana bill. Um, finally, when we did get medical marijuana in New York, it is, we ha now have one of, I think, the most restrictive and limited medical marijuana laws in the country. I mean, it's not like... Um, you know, the old medical marijuana laws in the West Coast states, which have now legalized it, where if, you know, you had a headache, you can go to a doctor and, uh, you know, suddenly get a medical marijuana card. It's much more restrictive than that. So it really wasn't on our radar. Um, when it first appeared was, you know, in this most recent, uh, you know, iteration was uh, around uh, Governor Cuomo's reelection. Um, he was getting uh, a primary challenger from Cynthia Nixon. She was far to the left of him, and there were a few polls that came out that started, I guess, to worry the folks in Albany that Cuomo might actually have a legitimate primary challenger. So suddenly we started seeing all sorts of progressive-leaning policies coming out of the governor to try to, um, I think, avoid a primary challenge. And one of those was legalizing marijuana. He put together a study um, and you know delayed any announcement until uh, the study was done, and after the study you know, was completed, Completed. Lo and behold, it, it recommended let's have adult use marijuana in New York, um, and so that was also possibly one of the fastest studies that ever happened in New York State. <laughs> Potentially preordained, yes. Actually, as I recall, the study was completed, but withheld the results withheld. Yeah, you know, I don't remember until all the it became timely. All I know is that suddenly, uh, you know, we, we had a study that was released, and uh, and and it happened to align with the position that everyone was telling the governor to take. Um, but even then, Jimmy, it was still just a, a campaign promise, and a lot of us said, "All right, well, it's a campaign promise." He then handily defeated Cynthia Nixon in the primary, and we figured it was all just a blip. But then when he was inaugurated and he was announcing his policy agenda for the legislative session, adult use marijuana was there. And suddenly Liz Kruger from Manhattan, a longtime advocate for adult use, um, had a bill introduced. The governor's office 
put out a bill um, that was slightly different. We started hearing talk about it becoming, um, you know, getting done with the budget in March, and suddenly uh, everyone was very hot on adult use marijuana. It started to cool down a little bit. There were some roadblocks, and uh, you know, we could maybe talk about those um, if, if you're interested. Um, but it did cool down a little bit. It did not get passed with the budget. Uh, everybody knows in New York we have a uh, part-time legislature, so the legislative session's almost over. And the latest I have for you is, you know, yesterday the governor was uh, getting interviewed somewhere, saying he doesn't think it's going to get done this session. Um, so that's where we're at right now. But but you know, I think it's important to underscore. The fact that we're even having this conversation about legalizing adult use marijuana in New York is is light years ahead of where we were even a few years ago. So it's tr- it truly is remarkable. I guess my main interest is one, you know, what farmers can do about it, the impact of it, and then also more in, in your field, Max. You know, the opportunity for retail sales for you know hospitality industry. Um, Dieter, you guys want want to tell me a little bit more about growing hemp and is it impacting, you know, the hop growth? And we've got a hop industry in New York that's, that's just starting to take off, and people are talking about it. Um, we've got the New York State Farm Brewers license. Um, is this going to screw things up? Um, perhaps. I mean, there's there's far more interest in uh, in hemp and marijuana than there was in hops. I mean, we go to some of the conferences and. You know, we're going to hemp conferences and we're going to hop conferences and the, the difference in attendance is, is dramatic. You know, like the UVM conference, they had 60 people at their hop conference. My alma mater, UVM. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent <Go> school. Cats. <laughs> um, and uh, so like two years ago, there were about 300 people in that room. This year there were 60. Um, the hemp conference drew over 700 in its first year. Um, there is a lot less... Um, if you want to start a hemp operation or a marijuana operation, it, the upfront costs are, are much less. So, you know, the, uh, hops are, you know, a huge, huge investment upfront. You know, we're talking $15,000 an acre. With, with hemp, you just have to pay, pay for the seed and turn the land. Although uh, the seed is quite expensive. The seed currently is very expensive. Um, we're talking, you know, they're selling seeds for upwards of three, four dollars a seed, and you may need, you know, thousands, <laughs> you know, to do several acres. So, you know, you're you're looking at huge investment in just seed, but that that's going to go away. I mean, over the next few years, people will start breeding seed. And well, and just down. to be clear, the seed that is very expensive is the seed from uh, plant varieties that are high. In CBD, mm-hmm. um, there's several different, you know, there's many right. different varieties of cannabis. As a matter of fact, just to, to, there, there's cannabis is, there's like even debate about whether there are different species of cannabis or it's all one. So we kind of people are agreed to say that there's three different species, which is cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, and cannabis ruderalis. Um, and the biggest difference between those three is really size. And some people say also the, the quality and degree of the THC in the plants. Um, people have worked very hard to differentiate hemp from cannabis, but it is not a different species. It is the same species. What it is is it's a diff- it, they're different varieties, okay? Just like um, a cherry tomato, a plum tomato, and a beefsteak tomato are all tomatoes. Um, hemp and marijuana that's high in THC and marijuana that's high in CBD are all the same. They're just different varieties that are bred to 
highlight different features of the plant. Do you think that is there so there's an opportunity for small farmers in New York to make money from hemp and possibly marijuana, or do you think that they're going to be excluded? Um, well, I think that there's a possibility, and I think that it should be handled um, along the same lines as the farm brewery law. I think that you know the the hemp marijuana cannabis should be considered an agricultural product, and the processing of it and the direct sale of it should be considered an agricultural activity, um, the same way that the farms are now allowed to produce wine, cider, and beer. Uh, whether that will happen is unknown, and I think it's much more difficult because the financial potential financial returns are much harder. So um, people with a lot of money, corporations with a lot of money, are willing to work a lot harder to get a big market share. That's just my personal opinion. Max? There's so much we could talk about in just that, that small little subject. We can, you know, um, you know just a, f- a few thoughts. Um, I completely agree that... Um, that alcohol and the way alcohol has been regulated, you know, provides a, a useful model in terms of how we're going to regulate uh, adult use marijuana. That's been the approach that in the other states that have done it. They've looked to their alcohol regulatory systems. Um, that has been the approach in New York as well, although there obviously isn't a law yet. All of the bills that we've seen in one way or another have been inspired by the way we regulate alcohol. Um, you know, and that makes sense. I mean, legislators don't really like to reinvent the wheel if they don't have to. And you know, there are similarities both historically um, and in terms of the public policy uh, questions that are raised by uh, you know alcohol and marijuana. Um, regardless of what the you know, specific text of whatever bill that ultimately gets passed, if it ever does get passed, says, I agree that there's going to need to be some sort of low-entry, uh, low-cost entry license for farm growers of adult-use marijuana. We shouldn't repeat the same mistake that New York repeated in its post-prohibition uh, alcohol regulatory system, which was to create a very, very high licensing fee for manufacturing alcohol. And you know that licensing fee was a real bar to entry for a lot of folks, which is what gave rise to the farm uh, license categories, which allowed in return for uh, having a great uh, significant portion of your product be produced by uh, New York uh, agriculture, that you get a lower licensing fee. There needs to be something like yeah. that. With, no, with no, you get well, I just wanted to point out, well, I just wanted to point out that we're already off track with the medical marijuana mm-hmm. um, permitting system where, you know, like you were saying earlier, there's only a very small number of permits and they're really held by, you know, pharmaceutical companies. And that, I mean, what's going to happen with the existing medical, legal medical marijuana companies in New York when we do transition to adult use is a huge question. Right. And you hear a lot of I mean you hear a lot of advocates for the adult use program, you know, their one condition across the board is that we need to find some sort of way to uh, benefit local people and different advocates mean different things by that. Uh, you have the folks who from upstate in the agricultural communities who, you know, what they mean by that is we need local farmers to be able to benefit and not have uh, large companies come in and, uh, and take over. When you speak with the downstate advocates, they're looking more on the retail side. And what they're thinking of is we don't want, you know, mega chains coming in, mega retailers and, um, and, and creating a monopoly on the retail side. Um, and again, you know, you could look to the way our, our alcohol laws are written for inspiration on both of those. I mean, uh, 
in all of the versions of the adult use marijuana bill that I've seen so far, there are a few really striking similarities to the, um, the alcohol laws. Uh, there's some version of a three-tier system where you're not going to allow to have vertical integration, um, where you have large uh, manufacturers also being able to have multiple retail outlets. Um, and there's also going to be a, a ban... It seems, and that could also change when the law is finally written, but a ban on horizontal integration, which is similar to what we have with our package stores right now. So right now, if you have a package store in New York, you can't have multiple. And both of these restrictions, at least the thought is, is that they keep ownership local. You don't have a, you know, a Dwayne Reed of liquor stores. You don't have a CVS of liquor stores. Um, on the you know, on the manufacturing side, on the production side. It's a little more tricky because you know you don't you don't need multiple facilities in order to uh, come in as a large manufacturer. No, and it's and it's very complicated. And we're, we're gonna have multiple shows about this, and we're definitely gonna be able to. And your site, what is it? Pb pb dot law pb dot law. You guys are covering this, but um, let's just go back to the beer, uh, Dieter. You guys are definitely um, shining star of just how, how important the New York Farm Brewery and Cidery licenses are. What are we drinking? Uh, we're drinking Homie Haulers, which is uh, essentially an estate beer. We uh, we grow the barley, we grow the oats, we grow the hops. Um, there is a little bit of uh, some West Coast hops in there from some friends of ours, but uh, for 90% of it is from the farm, and that's what we're trying to do is estate beers on the farm. Obviously, we do estate cider, and, and the growing of the hemp, was it was just another way to um, try to diversify the farm and keep the small family farm going. Um, and, you know, like I said before, we're trying to see if we could um, establish hemp in New York State as a, as a crop, as a field crop, um, not just doing it in big greenhouses for, for medical. Um, can we grow seed? Can we take the seed oil? Um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like where we were with hops in New York State in like 09, you know, and that there's okay, we've got a bunch of farmers. Farmers are risk takers, so they all jump in. They start growing this, and we immediately find out, well, there's no processing. And how do we cross, you know, can we cross state lines? And how far can, you know, is it economical to go with it? You know, when we started, when we put in our hop yards eight years ago, the nearest processing facility was in Wisconsin. Um, by the time, you know, we got three years into it, there was processing in New York. So, you know, we're sort of gambling again that there's going to be processing in New York. You know, we're fooling around with a, a neighbor's farm who makes soybean oil. Well, can we take that soybean press and can we put hemp seed through it? And can we make a clean hemp seed product that a farmer could, you know, sell? Um, because it's, it's great for cosmetics and things like that. Wow, man. This is a great... We're tackling a subject that I, I've never really talked about ever <laughs> beside the brief, brief intro that I gave you. So we've got some great experts in the room. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Shaxbury Cider, who believe cider can be daring, complex, and eminently drinkable. Located in Virgennes, Vermont, Shaxbury make a broad offering of ciders, from the bright and fruity rosé to inventive, small-batch wild apple fermentation. Each fall, Shaxbury takes to the hills of Vermont to forage for the wild and forgotten fruit that make up their lost apple project. Shaxbury, producer of the first American-made Petnat Cider, 
continues to experiment every year with limited edition ciders designed to spotlight locally foraged fruit. To learn more, visit Shaxbury.com or follow them on Instagram at Shaxbury. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Or, or should this be the uh, TTB versus THC radio show? I don't know. <laughs> we didn't really get too much in, into regulation, but I mean, there was, you know, in the news, I, I really wanted to talk more about, you know, growing, but in the news earlier this year, there, there was a, the New York City Health Department kind of went at, it may, what was it, Max? It was like they made a, they made a point of going into about five or six cafes and cocktail bars well, that were using CBD oil and making a, a public statement about it. Well, the, uh, in, only the, in the way that only the New York City Health Department could. Um, we were closely involved with this issue. You know, Our firm represents the New York City Hospitality Alliance, which is a trade association that represents bars and restaurants and retailers in New York City. And, you know, CBD exploded. Everybody knows that. Uh, you know, in New York City, suddenly you every restaurant you went into, any store you went into, they had CBD something. And the health department was just not sure whether it was legal or not to put that in food. Um, you know, the New York City Health Department really goes off of what the FDA has to say about it. The FDA was uh, incredibly vague about what was legal or what was not in terms of CBD being for human consumption. Um, the, we're not experts on the FDA, but I do know that the FDA recently approved CBD in a, in, a, in a drug for epilepsy, and they have some sort of rule which basically says once you have something that's in a drug, it can't be just in a food for general consumption unless we have some sort of special dispensation for that. And so the health department, instead of you know educating people and, and giving warnings and going in and saying, hey, you know, it's unclear whether you could put this in food or not or drink, stop doing it. They, just like you said, they went in and they made a statement, issued a whole bunch of violations, and then uh, we worked with the health department uh, to try to get clarity on what they were doing here. The current status quo, as far as the city of New York is concerned, is that until we get further um, guidance from the feds, uh, CBD should not be in uh, food. But that's hasn't stopped people from doing it anyway. And, and Dieter, earlier you were talking about the uses of, of hemp, hemp oil in beer. Tell me what your plans are and then what, what current regulations there are about it? Well, we have currently, currently we have no plans to put THC or, or CBD into, into any uh, beers. Uh, uh, THC, the TTB, considers that to be um, illegal. Uh, they've asked uh, yeah. Laguanitas to stop making theirs. They did. They've, uh, they've asked uh, a bunch of other breweries to stop doing it. So we're, we're not going to go that direction. And until there's clarification on uh, CBD, um, we won't be putting any in, in beer either. What, what I like, I was saying before, what we're interested in are the extraction of, of various terpenes and flavor profiles, the, the non psychoactive uh, parts of, of hemp. So terpenes, the same thing as oils from hops. Yep, yep, they're the same. They're the same. Um, but like I said, the breeding program can be um, uh, can be. Uh, escalated because you know we can we can do more with it and 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 frankly from the you know the the recreational marijuana side of it uh you know sort of coming out of the dark now you know there's just tons of flavor profiles that they've been able to to get 
that that we can't get out of hops because as as, uh, as Dr. Paul Matthews says, uh, hops have an ancient way of having sex. So it's really you know it's hard to get uh, new flavor profiles. Also, I think the brewing industry was a little. Um, was a little lazy on on uh, investing money in in hop uh, breeding programs uh, because they didn't need to. They had everything that they needed, you know. And and it takes like twenty years to bring a new hop to you know the farm and get it into brewing. Um, so I think this the exciting area for us is going to be the flavor profiles that we may be able to extract from hemp and using beer. Right, and Laura, you you guys. Um I think I first met you personally when you wrote the Hop Growers Handbook, which was the first guide to East Coast hop growing. Um, wh- what have you learned in, in this whole process? I mean, you're a longtime farmer, but hops in particular, you really became the expert on. Well, I'm not the expert, but I was an early person to learn about it in New York State. The thing that never ceases to amaze me is the parallels between um, farmers trying to get started with hemp cannabis um, with a low THC required by law um, versus hops. I mean, we, we have a lot of the, the same challenges as we had then. And uh, again, also a lot of the features of the plants, they, they like the same things and they like a lot of sun. They like well-drained soil. They have similar nutrient requirements. Um, Anyway, it's just a very interesting um, thing to be involved in because hops had not, as, as Dieter mentioned earlier, when we started growing hops, they hadn't really been grown in 100 years uh, in New York State due to disease and economic reasons that centralized out in the western part of the state. And with uh, cannabis um, and, and hemp that is now open to people to grow, uh, again, hadn't been grown for like 100 years. So, you know, a lot of the knowledge has been lost. The reality is, yes, they have in Colorado and California and Washington and Oregon, they have knowledge about how to grow cannabis, whether it's recreational, medicinal, or, you know, even in Colorado hemp and Kentucky hemp. Um, However, in New York, it's very different uh, growing conditions. Uh, The moisture levels that we are struggle with here in New York State vastly exceed any moisture levels being faced in the West Coast. And um, that is the same essential problem with hops. And so those are the things that are going to have to be solved um, in terms of plant breeding for resistance. Yeah, you know, just listening to this conversation, I think, is, is clear to, it makes it clear to any legislature, legislator the need, the absolute need to do something about adult use. I mean, we have some incredibly smart, savvy, entrepreneurial farmers in our state. And down here in New York City, we have some incredibly smart, savvy, entrepreneurial uh, restaurateurs, bar owners, people in the hospitality industry. And, you know, one of the things that we were disappointed to see in the bills that have come out of Albany so far is keeping any sort of retail uh, adult use marijuana separate from any retail on-premises or off-premises alcohol. And we think that's a real uh, mistake. I mean, we have some of the the most world-class culinary experts in New York City. Um, And if we've made a judgment as a society that it's just as okay for somebody to uh, consume THC as it is for them to enjoy a glass of champagne, uh, then why shouldn't they be able to go to a restaurant and choose or, or have both when they, they eat? And, you know, let's not uh, keep the two separate. 
Um, I'm not sure if legislators are ready to take that leap yet. Uh, the fact that we had on-premises options in some of the New York bills uh, already, I think, puts us ahead of a lot of the other states. Only I think I believe only California has allowed on-premises uh, for adult use marijuana. Um, but there's so much innovative capacity in our state. Uh, it would be a real shame to see uh, legislation, which is really almost at the and finish you, and line. You guys are, are pretty sharp about it. I mean, I know that your firm was really really involved in the reform of craft beer and the other SLA um, reforms in the state? We've been involved with the Liquor Authority, I mean, long before uh, before my time, going back to when my father started the firm in, in 1986, so we've been involved with the Liquor Authority since then. Um, our focus, since we're down in New York City, started off um, with retailers, uh, because that's really what, you know, bars, restaurants, uh, that's really what's big in New York City, but it's expanded uh, to include, you know, the craft boom that we've seen in New York. And we were on a panel that was appointed by the governor a few years ago to suggest reforms to the alcoholic beverage control law. This was after uh, the initial farm reform. And, you know, we're seeing, I mean, uh, not to get political, people have different views of the governor, but one thing that this governor has, I think everybody can agree that this governor has done, is that he has been a champion of loosening some of the more draconian restrictions that the ABC law has in our state, the fact that we could have farm licenses, the fact that manufacturers of alcohol uh, brewers do have the ability to do retail sales uh, when historically they haven't been able to do so is uh, a step in the right direction, and you know, we hope to see more of that. Laura, you, your family farm, it, what was it? It started out as what? It was selling milk yes. and dairy. Right. And give us a like evolution of, of farms in New York State like yours and, and where would this could all go. Well, it's very interesting. Um, I am the fourth generation on our farm, um, started by my great-grandfather producing milk. Uh, they then uh, lost the dairy barn to a fire, and my grandfather then converted to raising beef and planting. We always had some orchard, expanding the orchard. Uh, most It was entirely wholesale. For apples. For a- apple orchard. And pears as well. Um, everything was entirely wholesale. And then it was my father, um, the third generation, who started direct marketing to consumers. And that has really taken off for the business. Uh, so pe- people up in Albany that grew up in that area, going back to what, the 60s, 70s, remember going to Indian Ladder Farm to p- pick your own yes. fruit, right? Right. That started in the, well, it started in the 60s, early 70s. And it continues to be very big for us. Um the, the next transition, well, we expanded in many different directions within the direct-to-consumer model, um, and we do also still wholesale and direct, uh, direct store sales. Uh, but the next really big transition came with the farm brewery law, um, where we began to grow hops and malting barley and make... It's, a, it's two businesses now. We have a separate business leasing space, but this is, you know, the way these businesses work when they get big. It doesn't just stay one entity. Um, so when we began making beer and hard cider. So we're now looking at our fifth generation, uh, ranging in age from 16 to 28. Uh, who knows, you know, what they're going to end up in. Um, but we want to stay current. Um, also, we're just very curious, and we have a history on our farm of doing a lot of research and being very um, inquiring about new things that started with my great-grandfather. And so we want to be involved in the hemp thing. Um, clearly, it could potentially, um, if some of the agronomic challenges are solved for us and we have more harvesting equipment and processing equipment in proximity to us, could be a very um, you know, lucrative part 
of a of a diversified farm. Right. So we've you know we've gone from you know uh, basically wholesale to direct to consumer to now we're now we're creating value added products, and and for the small family farm it's it's kind of. You know, it's funny because you say to people in New York City, they say, oh, how big is your farm? You say, oh, it's 320 acres. And they go, oh, my God, that's huge. <laughs> and you talk to farmers and they're like, wow, how are you surviving? <laughs> um, you know, you don't have enough land um, because, you know, farms now are, you know, several thousand acres in order to, you know, break even. Um, so if you're on a smaller farm, you have to figure out a way to extract every dollar from what you grow. You know, when we planned the show, you sent me an article uh, in USA Today. It was about your farm and, and growing hemp. I didn't really know that hemp was such an important crop. I mean, it was it's using fabrics, it, and there was images of, of ropes in World War II and on ships. Um, it's kind of amazing, you know, that there doesn't seem like there's anything you can't do with hemp. <laughs> you know, when but you start looking at it. If it's so it. useful, why, why, why was it illegal for so long? I mean, you can make ropes from it. You, you've got because oils it, from it. It got caught up. I mean, hemp, a lot of people, there's a lot of legal jargon that doesn't correspond with botanical language, okay? Mm -hmm. Hemp is not a separate species from cannabis with THC. So lo lawyers, you need a, bot a botany expert. <laughs> well, they do. And, you know, and, and I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you've studied the history of it, you would see that, you know, those, you know hemp, you're right. I mean, the, the law has never appropriately tracked the, the scientific, uh, you know, classification of, of it. And, you know, um, you could really see the, the history of alcohol and, and marijuana um, in terms of their legality, come up alongside each other um, right around the time that uh, we had prohibition. Within a decade or so, we also had uh, the Narcotics Act of 1930-something, which made uh, cannabis illegal. Um, a lot of the same forces uh, in the temperance movement who were behind uh, the prohibition of alcohol were behind that act which made marijuana illegal. There were some unfortunate, you know, national and racial components of it. Um, there was a view that, you know, immigrants were the ones who were smoking marijuana and, you know, uh, you know, so that's why we should make it illegal. Um, so I don't, I mean, it was never any good policy reason behind the prohibition of marijuana, just like the policy reasons behind the prohibition of alcohol proved, uh, you know, to be a failure also. Also, which is why it's sort of refreshing to see people uh, coming around now to recognize that, you know, uh, this is a product that you know, THC, marijuana, this is something that people are using. So let's uh, have the law reflect yeah. their and, habits. And from a grower's standpoint from hemp, you know, the, the way the law is written right now, we have to be at 0 0.03 delta, uh, you know, uh, delta THC. We have to be below that. And we have to be tested on that by ag and markets. And if we test over that, we have to personally destroy our crop. Mm. Um, the entire crop. The not, entire not, crop. Not the beer or the product. No, just the, just the hemp. But, you don't get out of the gate to make a product. It's but, destroyed in the field. But beca just because it is higher in THC doesn't mean that that hemp doesn't have a value at the end. Even if the THC isn't being used. Well, you the know, thing it's, is, it's in order to legalize hemp, they have this sort of artificial um, characteristic of hemp that it has naturally a THC level of below 0.3%. Um, but, but it's not. It's bred that way. But, but it doesn't necessarily. Um, but the people, I think, in general, working towards the legalization of cannabis in general, view hemp as sort of a... Gateway. A point, a gateway, a plant. And so if we can breed THC out of it and just use it for uh, fiber and seed and oil, then that 
makes the whole psychoactive thing a non-issue and we can get people growing cannabis. And that's kind of what's going on. Um, the, you know, all the, the researchers I've talked to said you can, be, especially because it's an annual, you can easily breed THC properties in and out of uh, any variety of cannabis. Um, and just because something is high in CBD doesn't mean it's high in THC also. But some people are claiming that to get high CBD levels, you need to have high THC levels, that those two characteristics are genetically linked. So there's a lot of room to go here. And I can see how complicated it must be to have um, a market, ag and markets farm inspector doing this um, versus a, like a SLA inspector. Well, <laughs> it's, you know, I'd the, rather see the ag the and markets the guys over there. The THC thing is pretty simple. They come out to the field, they take their samples, they test them. Unfortunately, they're, they're insisting on testing them in the ag and markets lab, so you don't get results back for weeks and weeks. But I'm sure that will be clarified over time. And if you test too high, then you have to destroy the crop. Um, you know, my, I think that the farm brewery law is great, and I think the SLA is doing a great job, and I want to be the last one to criticize the SLA. Uh, but they still have a tremendous amount of baggage uh, from the prohibition of alcohol that is worked into their system. And, you know, my concern is, are they going to be able to break free to have a fresh approach to cannabis, or are they going to bring all that residual baggage with them? Because still, in you know, even with the very supportive environment around the farm brewery law, we still repeatedly run up against these really weird things that are Old. resulting from archaic irregularities. Yeah. Oh, now I got Jimmy upset. He's, <laughs> he's, he's not mad at the, the SLA. Yeah, though. We that. love the SLA. My arms waving because we're um, we got uh, tech bites right on after this. So okay. let's each get. That was a great kind of question and statement. I don't know if Max, you want to answer that. Yeah. And then we'll each get one more question and we'll wrap it up. Sure. You know, you know, old old draconian policies, which you know, eighty plus years after the prohibition of alcohol ended, I think to a lot of folks today seem questionable. Um, and, you know, I would never offer a, a full-throated defense of those policies, but there is, uh, you know, uh, there are still some very valuable public policy goals behind the liquor laws that we have. I mean, it's a recognition that alcohol is an intoxicant. Uh, we, our nation does have a difficult history with that product and certain, uh, you know, it does need to be controlled. Um, and, you know, whether there can be liberalizations in the way we control it is a subject of debate. But, um, you know, I do think, you know, you know yes, I, I do think that, you know, there probably will be baggage, uh, you know, the way you phrased it, when it comes to the regulation of cannabis for that same reason. Great. Dieter, last question for you. So you guys have really been nimble, you know, fourth generation farm, but as Indian lot of farm, brewery, and cidery, or is it cidery and brewery? It's cidery and brewery. Um, you've been very nimble about you have a brewery and cidery in, in, in the same, you know, general area. Um, just tell me what, what you're working on and, and how you're able to achieve that. Because you're still, you're, still, you're still building a new brewery. You've we, got a lot of things are, in the we works. Are, and, I, um, and I love this beer, the homie beer. The yeah, ho homie hollers. Homie yeah, hollers. And a, we also had your cider, too. Yeah. So, so we're, we're basically we're separating the cidery and the brewery into two separate buildings. We're expanding both operations. Um, it, that's why we're doing it. So we're, we're going from a three-barrel brewery with a little bit of contracting to a 20-barrel brewery. 
um, in one of the old farm buildings on the farm with a fantastic view and we've uh, just expanded our beer garden so you should come up this summer and see us. Uh, and something's happening. July 20th, you have a big gathering. Uh, we have Farming Man Fest uh, this year. We've got over 30 breweries coming and cideries and five bands and camping still available. I think there's a few slots left. So check out um, ILFCB.com for all your information on that. That's great. Well, this is it's really great. And you've also been, you know, what I love about you is the way you've embraced, you know, you're, you're, you're making hops... You're working with New York City Brewers, so I get to see you a lot. Um, any any new collaborations going on that you want to shout out? Well, we're we're um, we did a lot of collaborations in the city when we're you know our brewery was really small, and now we since we're going to be opening the twenty barrel, we're sort of opening our arms up to everybody that helped us out you know over the years down here and from Interborough to KCBC to you know any any uh, you know number of uh, Jason. Uh, and uh, have them come up and make beer with us in the country. Wow. This has been a great show, guys. A big thanks. Everybody, just uh, one more time, say who you are. and uh, uh, we'll Dietrich Garing from uh, Indian Ladder Farms Cidery and Brewery. Laura Tenike, Indian Ladder Farms. And I'm Max Bookman. I'm an alcohol licensing attorney and potentially uh, adult-use marijuana licensing, depending on where the laws go. <laughs> and you're also from the New York City Hospitality Alliance. That's right. We're attorneys for the New York City Hospitality Alliance, our industry trade association here in New York for bars and restaurants. So we really got to cover a little bit of, you know, some changes in the industry and the state. It was all news to me, and thank you guys for, for educating me. Uh, big shout-out to everybody, producer Justin Kennedy, engineer Matt Patterson, assistant producer... Uh, uh, Aliyah Paps, how are you? <laughs> um, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Mm-hmm. Woo! Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.